Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good Monday morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Let's take a look at Asia Pacific markets. They're in the red this morning following a sell off on Wall Street on Friday. And we're, we've seen a volatile weekend, haven't we, for cryptocurrencies? Seoul and Korea both down nearly 1%. Sydney in the red as well. Investors will have their eyes on Hong Kong today, where four new stocks, including JD.com and NetEase, will be added to the Hang Seng Index. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. We haven't heard this voice in a while. Good morning, Ryan Huang. Hey, Michelle. Happy Monday. And welcome back to the studio in, in real life. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, Michelle. How was your break? Pretty good. So I went on a staycation and I am fully recharged for what is looking like a busy week. Oh, wonderful. So I went to the Museum of Ice Cream over the weekend. What was that like? I haven't been there. I should have borrowed your daughter, you know? <laughs> so what was your ice cream name? Oh, it was a Speculos Girl because I love Speculos. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's an opportunity to eat a lot of ice cream and, and learn about the facts of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I will think about my ice cream name for my visit next time. <laughs> All right, let's look at China debt, crypto volatility, risk-off sentiment in the markets and a new REIT listing here on the Singapore Exchange. It's a busy Monday morning for investors here in Singapore. Ryan, let's start with a potentially bullish story for listeners who may be keen on investing in a new REIT which supports the backbone of the internet. Digital Core REIT goes public this afternoon. It's a pure data center play. BlackRock, JP Morgan and DBS are among the more than 25 in institutional investors who are backing the listing. So Ryan, why do you think institutional interest in digital core REIT has been so strong? Yeah, so it is attracting a lot of interest and it was 16.1 times subscribed and that was under the public offer. If you look at the international placement tranche, there was 19.6 times subscribed. So you are looking at a lot of interest jumping onto the second REIT to be listed on ESGX this year. And I guess it has a strong case for it going. It is a digital REIT, after all, going by its name, and it is banking on the next big thing, which is where uh, you've got a huge growth market, e-commerce, data centers, all pretty much fueling this growth story for digital core REIT. And right now, if you look at the sponsor, it's Digital Realty. It's among the 10 largest US listed REITs. It's um, something to take note of because it does mean it has strong backing and it does mean it has a lot of potential pipeline deals happening as well. So all of that contributing to a very good growth story. And I think that's one reason why you are seeing so many interested parties jumping on this investment. And in its prospectus, Digital Core Read says that digitization, 5G, social media and the Internet of Things, not to mention increasing streaming media, will all boost demand for data centers. Now, Ryan, as you mentioned, the second new read listing that we're seeing in Singapore in recent weeks. So would you say this is a sign that investor interest in the sector overall is on the rise? It's the second one in, I think, the space of a few weeks. So it is showing that maybe we are seeing things picking up for the REITs space and maybe even IPOs in general. And if you look at where we are right now for um, the REIT space, you will now have around 44, I believe, uh, REITs listed in Singapore for investors to choose from. And this one then bring the S REITs 
to a distribution yield of around 5.8% on average. And that will include Digital Core REIT's forecasted yield of 4.75% for 2022. So something to digest as you're looking for perhaps more uh, dividend income in the coming years. Okay, let's turn to another property story, one which is not so bullish, and that is the liquidity issues faced by major Chinese developers. Over the weekend, a company called Sunshine 100 China Holdings defaulted on nearly 180 million US dollars of debt and interest payments. The residential property group Kaisa has failed to gain bondholders' approval for a debt restructuring, and China Evergrande's latest test arrives today when a grace period on 80 million US dollars in overdue payments comes due. So Ryan, what are markets expecting on this front? Will China Evergrande be able to pay its debts or perhaps reach a restructuring agreement? Which do you think? Definitely more jitters in store. If you look at all the stories, it's all converging on how you need to be a bit more cautious when it comes to investing in property in China. And you talk about two emerging stories over the weekend. And today you are going to be on watch for another one a bond payment grace period. It's not just a deadline, it's the grace period. This is the 30-day grace period that will end on two dollar bond interest payments. And this is around $42 million for a coupon maturing in 2022 and $40.6 million of interest on another due the following year. So this is something to look out for because in the past few weeks, we've actually seen Evergrande paying off finding cash at the last moment somewhere under the couch. They've been able to resolve it at the last minute. But this time, it might be a bit different because late on Friday, they filed with the exchange that they are actively engaging with offshore creditors on a restructuring plan. So it's a hint, a big acknowledgement that perhaps they don't have enough cash to go around to pay everyone. So it could be now the tipping point that they are starting to say, hey, we need to talk about restructuring our debt and we will find out what happens when we get more clarity around this issue. So late Friday, Evergrande said it plans to, quote, actively engage with offshore creditors to reach a restructuring plan in what is its latest admission that the 300 billion US dollars of debt that it owes has become unsustainable. Now, Ryan, I understand that Chinese regulators quickly stepped in after Evergrande filed that announcement to try to contain the fallout. How so? Yeah, talk about timing. The announcements, a barrage of announcements came just minutes after Evergrande's own announcement. So authorities trying to manage the potential fallout and it pretty much was not going towards a bailout but more managing the fallout. So they talked about how they will be on hand to help homeowners be there to support the financial system and the broader economy but not building out Evergrande. So we've seen a couple of things happen in the past few weeks and that includes uh, the likes of uh, the government Guangdong summoning the founder Hui Kaiyan to express concern over the company's announcement and they have said they will dispatch a team to help the developer ensure normal operations. So perhaps a sign that they are expecting perhaps 
protests to disrupt office operations. So something to look out for to see how this unfolds in terms of investor reaction. You've got the central bank in China blaming Evergrande's problems on the company's own poor management and reckless expansion. So if you look at the broader story, it seems like authorities are trying to do as little as they need to intervene and let it play out according to market forces in order to weed out the weaker companies and allow the healthier ones to emerge. So it is, in a way, a healthy market correction in that sense. So something that may be short-term pain, but good for fundamentals in the long term. So we'll definitely keep an eye on Evergrande as well as Kaisa, Sunshine 100 and others as the week moves forward. The broader sector strains pushing yields on the Chinese junk dollar bonds, many of which come from the industry, near record highs, which in turn has made it difficult for distressed developers to refinance their maturing debt in the offshore market, and that's contributed to a wave of defaults. Let's turn to a world of cryptocurrencies now and if you're a crypto investor, you'll definitely need a strong stomach over the weekend because Bitcoin dropped as far as 42,000. Ether fell more than 17% before rallying. Some altcoins dropped even more. Now, even for crypto, Ryan, which we know can be subject to big swings, this was a volatile weekend. Do we have a sense of what caused it? Yeah, I was at USS over the weekend. This is a rollercoaster of rollercoaster. So this is seeing Bitcoin at one stage down more than 20% from their all-time high of around $69,000 seen just last month. And what a change of fortunes. And it is really reflecting how sentiment is changing, Mm. sometimes around headlines. And if you look at where we are right now today, a bit of risk aversion at play here. People just getting out of riskier assets and Bitcoin perhaps... One of the riskier ones. But it's very interesting because on some days we say it's a inflation hedge, hedge a safe yeah. haven. So it really depends on who you ask these days. Bitcoin down nearly 30% from its peak in November. It is currently trading around 48,000 US dollars a token. A price which some analysts say puts it in, quote, no man's land from a technical perspective. Investors are not so sure whether it should rise or fall, at least in the near term. What is the argument here? Yeah, so if you look at a chart's right? It is, in a way, tough to tell from the technicals where it's going because it is going sideways. It's consolidating. And according to some analysts from Oanda, uh, Albert Moyer, he is thinking or looking at how prices may seem to consolidate between 52000 and 60000 until there is perhaps a clearer catalyst for cryptocurrencies to react to. So for now, it is moving sideways. Crypto carnage, apparently. Let's turn to the U.S. markets now where there definitely was a sense of risk off on Friday with all the major indices finishing in the red. Investors were focused in part on the latest jobs numbers. The headline number, 210,000 new jobs, was the weakest showing of the year and less than half of what analysts were expecting. But if you look a bit closer, the numbers were not all that bad. Why is the November U.S. jobs report better than it looks, perhaps? Yeah, it's left a lot of people scratching their heads because you don't have everything pointing in the same direction, so to speak, in terms of how green or how healthy uh, these numbers are supposed to be. So Mm. the number of jobs created, for example, you pointed out it was still growth, but not as big as what people are looking out for. So if you look into some of the other 
indicators, there is some good news. For example, the jobless rate falling to 4.2% from 4.6%. And that's quite remarkable in terms of showing how unemployment is being addressed. It's a big swing by most measures. So that's healthy for the jobs market. And if you look under the hood when it comes to the jobs data, that is perhaps showing more people going into the workforce. So the number of people going into the labour market is at its highest level since March 2020 at 61.8%. So labour force participation rate at its highest in more than one and a half years. So that is showing perhaps a tight labour market and maybe the jobs being created is being constrained by how companies are recognising or being limited by how hard it is to find people these days. So they may not even have the chance to create jobs because they can't find or think they can't find the number of people to fill it. So that's perhaps one theory playing out. Um, We'll have to see the next few reports to see if this trend continues. All right. Now, I know you were at the theme park over the weekend and on those roller coasters. Are you still ready to play up or down? I am going to have to say yes, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Let's start with ST Engineering. Okay, ST Engineering, that is going to be up for me and it's eyeing the next big thing, cutting-edge technologies. Mm. And this is with the tune $11 billion top line in 2026. So it is thinking of investing more in R&D and to get there by 2026 with that investment in the next five years. Yeah, eight areas have been identified, including smart traffic management and something called neuromorphic computing. Next, let's look at uh, T International. Okay, this is going to be a down for me. So SGX giving them a scolding. And this is for its former C-suite executives breaching rules, breaching mainboard listing rules. Yeah, down for me as well, SGX uh, reprimanding T International and two of its former executives for breaking exchange rules. Apparently, the former C-suite leaders used corporate funds to settle personal debts. Let's look at CICT, Capital and Integrated Commercial Trust. Okay, this is going to be an up for me. So CICT expanding in Australia by buying two office buildings for $320 million. So this is pretty much a second overseas developed market after Germany. Yep, and those acquisitions to office buildings in Australia would be CICT's first properties in Australia. So up for me. Singapore retail sales, Ryan. Okay, that's going to be an up for me. 7.5% in October. Wow. And guess what? People are buying mobile phones. So thanks to iPhones and Samsung, I think people are just in the mood to go shopping. Perhaps a bit of revenge spending here. I think so. There's a lot of Singaporeans picking up new mobile phones in October. So handset sales helped to lead that 7.5% jump in retail sales, up for Singapore retail sales. Corporate share buybacks and director buying. How are they looking? Okay, I am looking at buybacks and we've seen a lot of headlines about how people or how companies are going into the market these days um, because it's cheaper. Uh, Of course, it's uh, at least more value these days. And it is going to be an up for me. We are looking at the latest data showing 26 primarily listed stocks conducting share buybacks. And that is up almost fivefold from the 42.5 million for the preceding five sessions. So the past five sessions have seen it at $206.7 million worth of stocks 
involved in share buyback. The SDI may be off a bit, but the latest figures show that corporate directors and companies have been using the dips as opportunities to buy shares. So share buybacks jumping five-fold from November 26th to December 2nd. So definitely up there. One last note before we check into the markets. Now, it took five attempts, five tries, but Peace Centre has finally been sold. So Ryan, who's buying and how much is it going for? Yeah, this is a place that has many memories for a lot of people. If you are familiar with Peace Centre, it's a bit of a hodgepodge of many things. Like uh, you might remember it for gaming, land centres, uh, you might remember it for KTVs, and you've got a lot of um, interesting stories to tell around Peace Centre. So it's the fifth time lucky for Peace Centre finally nailing an on-block deal for $650 million. So that is involving property player Chip Aang Singh and an Ultra Unit Infinity. They have made a joint venture or joint bid for the development. And this is combined development of Peace Centre and Peace Mansion. So it is making it the largest collective sale this year. Persistence pays off for Peace Centre. Let's turn to Singapore now. We are 22 minutes into the local trading day. The Straits Times Index rallied a little on Friday, closing up one-third of a percent at 3101 on the back of gains by SATs. The Blue Chip Index still finishing in the red for the week, though off 2%. So, Ryan, how is the STI trading this morning? Is it finding any support at the 3100 level? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, You pointed out SDI squeezing out a gain of 0.3% on Friday and that for the week was down 2%. Uh, It is continuing its gains this morning. It's up 0.8%. 3,127. So a bit bucking the trend in the region, which is seeing a bit of red right now as we see investors a bit more risk averse. And if you look at where we are on the STI, we have only three counters right now in the red. And we have Dairy Farm down by 0.6%, Jari Matheson down 0.2%, followed by City Dev. Otherwise, we've got green for the likes of Gunting right at the top by around 2% at 77.5 cents. And the banks are also up, led by DBS in the green by 1.3%. Thank you very much, Ryan Huang. Coming up, how do you feel about buying a basket of cryptocurrencies, a portfolio of a basket of cryptocurrencies? We're going to find out more about what trade together offers institutional investors. That's coming up in 40 minutes. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.